If you want to know what is really happening in the world today, you need to read the Parsha HaShavua, the weekly Torah reading. Join Rabbi Mendel Lipska for the next hour as he delves and enumerates the themes running through the weekly Torah Parsha, only on 101.9 High FM. And a very good Shabbos, Erev Shabbos to all of you. Wonderful to be with you to talk about ideas, the Parsha, what we can learn, how to understand that which is taking place in our lives, that which is taking place currently in the world, how to see that from a Torah perspective, and to allow that perspective to be a guide in order for us to go forward in a positive and constructive manner. And each and every single week, we have to look at the Parsha within that context, the idea of making it relevant. Torah is not something of the past. Torah is something which is eternal. And as Torah is eternal, it has a message for each and every single one of us in every single situation of life at each and every single time as well. Because after all, it is the divine word of God and therefore transcends time and space. Whatever ideas man comes up with is limited to a particular society, a particular situation, a particular era, and may be totally irrelevant in terms of our lives today. Take a look at many of the laws, many of the man-made laws that uh, were produced over the years. Uh, some of them have no, some, many of them, most of them have no relevance whatsoever. Only few remain beyond certain amount of generations and certain amount of places, whereas the divine word of God is something which is, as said, eternal. And eternal means it is not only there forever in this long string of time, but in each and every single in this single situation, there is an eternity about the, the Word of God. And this is why we have to study Torah not only as a book of law, not only, God forbid, as a book of history or a book of stories, not only as something which has tremendous philosophical insight, but rather as something which is Torah Chaim, this is the Torah of life. This guides my life. This directs my life. This gives me and my life purpose and meaning. And each and every single week, we look at the Parsha and we ask ourselves, what is this Parsha all about? What laws does it contain? What stories does it contain? What words of divine wisdom are there in order to talk to me about issues, ideas that are current, that are relevant now, here for me today, in this part of the world or in any part of the world, what does the Torah talk to me? And very often we begin to see incredible dimensions of wisdom, of prophetic insight in Torah. It gives us the ability to understand things at a level that no mortal mind could have ever come up with. This is something which talks to us at a different level from a different level, and it takes us to a different level as well. The words of Torah are incredibly powerful in every sense of the word, and therefore Torah, which comes from the root of Hora'ah, to teach, to guide, to direct, is something which is there to do just that in terms of our lives. Each and every Shabbos, we sit and we listen to the Torah reading in Shul, and we ask ourselves, what story is being told? What message do I hear that makes sense to me here and now? And sometimes we have to look deeply. Of course, we rely upon the incredible words of our commentators, the great sages throughout history who have taught us how to read the Torah, to understand the Torah, to learn the Torah properly in every single sense of the word, from a classic point of view, from a Kabbalistic point of view, from every single point of view. How does the incredible eternity of Torah 
talk to me in a way that makes sense to me here and now. After all, we are creatures that are limited by time and space. We're born into a particular situation at a particular time in a particular place, and we are influenced by all those dimensions. As we read by Abraham, God tells him to leave his birthplace, his 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 home, to leave the place of dwelling, to leave the place where he grew up, because sometimes we have to extend ourselves to see ourselves objectively within the greater context of time and space, and this is done through Torah, through the Word of God, through the eternal Word of God, that we are able to move to a position where we begin to see things in an altogether different type of reality. Otherwise, we are stuck. Otherwise, we are limited by those limitations of life. I'm going to talk about something which is quite relevant in the next portion, but meanwhile, more of this soon. This is the Pasha Hashavua with Rabbi Mendel Lipska, only on 101.9 High FM. We're talking about the relevance of Torah, how it applies to each situation, each person, each place, each time. There is an eternal dimension to Torah because it is divine wisdom of God. But before we continue, a couple of words from the marketplace, as we usually do. Pick and pay Norwood Hyper have these pocket-saving sweet deals just for you. P&P, pick and pay kosher marinated chicken flatties assorted only sixty nine ninety nine per kilo. Pick and pay fresh chicken is just sixty nine ninety nine per kilo. Pick and pay kosher fresh chicken bry pack is only seventy nine ninety nine per kilo. Pick and pay fresh hake headed and gutted fresh only eighty nine ninety nine per kilo. Catch these and many more specials in store. These specials are exclusive to Pick and Pay Norwood Hyper and only while stocks last. Pick and Pay Hyper Norwood, the best place to shop when you want to buy a lot. Ninety nine point ninety nine. We're talking about the idea of the relevance of Torah. And what is the current conversation within the Jewish community throughout the world today? The international conversation of Jewish concern. And without question, it is the strange phenomenon of the growth of anti-Semitism once again throughout the world, from the right, from the left, from the center, wherever one looks. It is coming up again, raising its ugly head, and one begins to wonder how and why. It is of tremendous concern. Certain places more severe than others, but throughout the world, this strange phenomenon, who would have believed that so soon after the Holocaust, this type of international expression of anti-Semitism could once again be the topic of Jewish conversation throughout the entire world. And one wonders, what is the source of anti-Semitism? Where does it come from? What causes anti-Semitism? What is this strange phenomenon all about? Why should one people hate another with such passion? And not only one people, as mentioned. It comes from the right. It comes from the left. The right wing accuses us of being lefties. The lefties accuse us of being right wingers. In the center, we have radical Islam. We have traditional fascistic anti-Semitism. Semitism. We have anti-Semitism in places that there are no Jews whatsoever. What is this all about? And as we look at this week's Parsha, when a certain nation, a certain king, rose up against the Jewish people, 
we begin to have somewhat of an insight into what anti says anti-Semitism is all about. It just doesn't happen one morning. It follows a certain process. It goes through a certain developmental stage. And in the opening sentences of this week's parsha, Bullock, we begin to have an insight into what this is all about. It begins with the words, Vayar Bullock ben Sipor, Eskolash Osa Yisrael Laemori. Bullock, the king, the son of Tzibar, he was a Midianite king, saw what the Jewish people did in the great battle against the Amorites, the incredible victory. And therefore Moab, their neighbors, were quite frightened about what happened. And they said, we are incredibly frightened of this people because they are so many. And they became disgusted. The Jewish people caused them to be disgusted, as the Pusik says. It goes on and says that the the people of Moab told the elders of Midian, what is going to happen over here is just like the bulls that overgraze the land and destroy everything. The Jewish people are going to come across our fields, our lives, our values, and destroy everything in their wake. And who was the king at the time? Bullock became king of Moab as well, in order to unite these two strong countries as a formidable enemy against the Jewish people. And he decided to send for Bilam. Balak the king decided to send for Bilam, who was a well-known wizard, a well-known, well, an individual who had tremendous divine powers, which he used for negative and evil purposes. These are the opening sentences of this week's Parsha. And this gives us an insight into the process and developmental stages of anti-Semitism. It begins by looking at the Jewish people, as did Bullock. They had just come through a tremendous battle against the Amorites. The Amorites were a powerful nation, a very strong people, strong army. And here is a people that have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and they come against this incredibly powerful army, and they are victorious against them. In other words, what does Bullock see? This is not an ordinary people. This is a people that have a miraculous dimension to them, because not only were they victorious, they didn't lose one person in the great battle against the Amorites, and this was not possible in a normal sense, because after all, when two nations come together in battle, go head to head, Of course, unfortunately, there are tremendous, tremendous losses. And here are people who haven't been trained in the art of warfare, winning against a powerful nation. Bullock says to himself, this is not only a powerful people, this is a miraculous people. Not only a miraculous people, this is a people who are protected by the on high, by God himself. Here is a people who is a special people, a different type of people. People who have been enslaved for hundreds of years, coming into a wilderness, surviving that wilderness miraculously for 40 years and winning this great battle. And he becomes very, very concerned. This is the initial stage of anti-Semitism. And he says Semitism at its core is because people look at the Jewish people and realize here is a special people. 
which makes them concerned, which makes them frightened, which causes them a moment of pause. What are we going to do with these people? And it is interesting to note that it is the recognition of the greatness of the Jewish people that frightens the anti-Semite to such a degree. You know, we think about it. What is the greatest miracle? I've said this again and again, and it can't be repeated often enough. The single greatest miracle that we have is the existence of the Jewish people having survived miraculously thousands of years of history when the strongest and most powerful of nations try to destroy us again and again and again, the Amalekites, the Amorites. And, well, in recent history, Germany, and before that, the pogroms in Russia, in Poland, and, of course, the great nations, the Persians, the Spaniards, the Romans, the Greeks, all of them, in a tremendous effort, try to destroy the Jewish people and that which they represent. Because in their heart of hearts, they know here is a strong people. And not a strong people because they have the mightiest army. And not a strong people because they are incredibly powerful in war. But powerful because there is a divine dimension. They are protected. Their very existence bears great witness to the actual miracle of the existence of the Jewish people. This is how the Parsha begins. Bullock, who is an exceptionally clever man, and some of our commentaries point out he himself was a prophet in a certain sense of the word. He had divine powers. Again, like Bilam, used them for bad purpose. But nonetheless, here is an individual who has insight. And what disturbs him more than anything else is that he knows that ultimately one of his children's children's children will become David, who becomes the forebearer of Mashiach himself. And he says to himself, how can I possibly allow this? We are a nation that has values contrary to what Torah stands for, to what the Jewish people stand for. And my own great-great-great-great-grandchild is going to be David, ultimately Mashiach. This is too much to accept. What does he do? He begins to frighten the people. And he says, watch out. They are a huge multitude. And he creates a sense of disgust among the people. Law, you use that term long enough. Speak badly about a people long enough, and people, unfortunately, will listen <coughs> and accept what you're saying. It's the vision of the single individual. And he tries and he successfully influences the thinking, the feeling, <coughs> sorry, and the understanding of hatred to the point that you become disgusted. And what does he say? Kiravu, they are many. Many, they were a handful compared to the other nations of the world. In fact, God himself says, you are a minority within a minority. This is the reality of the Jewish people. And yet he creates the impression, watch out for these people. They are many. They will overrun us. And he turns to his allies. And what does he say? We have to be careful about these people. We have to destroy these people. Because they will destroy the world as the bull who overgrazes and destroys the ground. What happens throughout history? They begin to blame the Jew for everything. Everything that goes wrong. 
And not only everything that goes wrong, but be careful. They own the world. They control the media. They control the finances. They are the bankers. They control the whole world. They will control us. They will destroy us. Think about it. Classic anti-Semitic thinking going through the process. First of all, recognizing the greatness, the miraculous greatness of the Jewish people. Creating a sense of tremendous chaos and hysteria and making the many people become disgusted by the Jews. And then use the arguments of economics, of power, of strength. These people will take over the world and control the world. And finally, what does he do? He turns to Bilam, the great wizard of the time, the great powerful, well, prophet, soothsayer. He had tremendous mystical gifts. He turns to him to curse the Jewish people. What does that mean? That after you have incited the masses against the Jews, after you have created all sorts of ideas of economic destruction, after you have recognized, well, the miraculous existence of the Jew, you have to give your anti-Semitic thesis some credibility by either getting the philosophers to back you up or to get religious thinkers to back you up. We know the story again and again and again. It's not something which is new. It's not something which just happened yesterday. It's not something which happened a thousand years ago only. But this incredible process is something which, well, develops from time to time and grows from time to time. The very existence of the Jewish people is a phenomenon, a miracle, something which simply cannot be explained and therefore indicates some sort of super dimension, some sort of super protection, something that gives us this ability to be here. Yes, throughout the ages, we have lost a great many people to these violent, vicious anti-Semites. Sometimes they come across as, well, great thinkers, great philosophers, great people with ideas. Sometimes they come across as groups of destructive creatures. But in each and every single case, the underlying theme is destroy the Jewish people. And we see this incredibly set out right at the beginning, at the outset, of this Parsha, of Parsha's Bullock. Yes, of course, his plan fails. His plan fails because Bilam, despite his best efforts, has to listen to the instructions that God gives him. And those instructions are not to curse the Jewish people, but to bless them, to take that miracle of their existence and to begin to explain it in glorious terms rather than destructive terms. But this is the reality of this week's Parsha. And this is why the conversation of today has to be understood within that context. And when we do, it begins to make a little bit of sense, but more of that soon. This is the Parsha HaShavua with Rabbi Mendel Lipska, only on 101.9 High FM. We're talking about the developmental stages of anti-Semitism and how it grows from stage to stage. And people who can otherwise influence innocent human beings, uh, decent human beings, to become terrible anti-Semites. But before we continue with that, a word from the marketplace. Listen carefully. This is 
a really a very important announcement about the Jewish community and something that we have to do. The Jewish Community Survey of South Africa will be closing next week, Thursday, the 25th of July. This is your last chance to participate and have your say. Go to www.jcsa2019.ca say jcsa2019.co.za to sign up. For more information, please visit www.cssa2019.co.za. Check out the Facebook page, www.facebook.com slash jcssa2019. It's important to participate to help the community plan for the future in the way that it should. We're talking about anti-Semitism. We're talking about how we see within Torah the developmental stages that gives us insight into every one of the steps that brings us to unbelievable dimensions of anti-Semitic behavior and the consequences, unfortunately, throughout history. But the first step is when they see something special about the Jewish people, something divine, something miraculous. This is the initial stage that causes them to behave in a way that develops an entire philosophy to influence millions of people in this terrible, terrible disease called anti-Semitism. And what's that first stage? That first stage shows us, shows everybody, that the Jewish people have something given to them by God which is absolutely unique to survive, to survive in a way which enables them to continue being the witnesses to truth, the witnesses to God's presence, that God is creator and director of this incredible world that he made to bear witness to the fact that there is a strong morality and decency in terms of Torah law, in terms of the laws that govern nations. We are witnesses to that, and we have to continue being witnesses. And there's an important lesson to be learned from that. If we ourselves don't recognize and see, appreciate, exalt that incredible dimension, gift that we possess, we ourselves are committing... uh, initial stage that brings to self-destruction. We don't need our enemies to do it. We can do it ourselves, unfortunately. This is why one of the important things about this week's Parsha is to forever remember who we are, to be proud of who we are, to cherish that we are, not to be ashamed or run away at the fact that we have been blessed with a divine gift, but to take it and thrive as a result to take it and make it real in our own lives, to share it with our children, to share it with our friends, to share it with anyone we know. Yes, to say, without arrogance, of course, but to say with honesty and integrity and humility, we, I, am a special person. I have a mission that God gave me in order to fulfill his ultimate creation. It's bad enough that the nations of the world, some of them, Those who wish to hate us use that excuse to destroy us. We have to use that dimension to protect us and to help us grow and make us understand who and what we are.
And it's only through a recognition of that, the study of Torah, the observance of mitzvot, a tremendous sense of devotion to the true tradition, to the authentic tradition of the Jewish people, great faith in God. These are the elements that make us real and enable us to take that incredible gift and to share it with all of creation, with all of humankind, to share it in a way that makes us stronger, makes them stronger, and removes negativity, violence, anger, destruction from the world. This is our mission. And this is why this Shabbos, which is a special Shabbos, it's the 17th of Tammuz, and the 17th of Tammuz, Shiva Asabi Tammuz, is, of course, the beginning of the three weeks, starts with a fast day. This year, the fast day is delayed until Sunday. And there are various customs. Some communities have a subdued dimension over this Shabbos because, in a sense, it already is the beginning of the three weeks. Others say no, being that the fast has been pushed off and delayed, may it be permanently delayed, and there is a tremendous sense of excitement and joy, in fact, more so than on a regular Shabbos. And this is something which is important for us to consider. There is something important for us to consider in terms of the fact that we are an eternal people, and yes, while we commemorate destruction, we also celebrate rebuilding. We also celebrate the coming of Mashiach. We also celebrate the fact that we will outlive all this negativity, and this is why it should add to our joy in a powerful and positive sense. And this is why when you're in shul, the Shabbos. Listen carefully to the opening remarks. Listen carefully to the so-called curses, which turned out to be incredible blessings made by Bilam, that terrible, terrible person. And listen carefully to what, in fact, we are. It takes Bilam, a non-Jewish prophet, to point out, in an angry and negative way, of course, but to point out what, in fact, we are, and who in fact we are, the incredible gifts that we've been given in order to be the type of people that we are. This is a special Shabbos. Yes, of course, God forbid, we might still have to fast on Sunday. Mashiach doesn't come. But still, we begin the three weeks on a high note, a high note of Shabbos, a high note of a Parsha that talks to us about how to understand our enemies what causes them to be our enemies, and how to understand ourselves to develop that sense of pride, of greatness, and to do it with a tremendous degree of joy. So the Shabbos, listen carefully to the Torah. Listen carefully to how it's relevant in terms of the Jewish conversation of today. Make it real, make it personal, make it strong. And in this way, we will in fact live with that incredibly internal, eternal dimension that we have, the gift from God, the divine strength that we possess, something we teach ourselves, our children. Indeed, we teach the entire world with a sense of integrity and a sense of joy. Good job.